So as we celebrate this morning and as we read these scriptures, it, it, it's Advent. It's this time where we're, we're starting to bring ourselves around to that Christmas spirit again. Thanksgiving is over and we're looking forward to the next big holiday where your family gets together, you see what they've been up to for the previous month and you get to give one another gifts. Kind of celebrate what it means to be one another and the giving of gifts is always kind of a complicated thing, right? You, you almost wish you knew what they were getting you first so you can kind of gauge, like, is this kind of a, my kid made you a picture and I framed it for you kind of gift? Or is that, you know what I mean? And so there's a lot of expectation. There's a lot of almost attempting to balance the scales and a lot of stress that can go into something that should be as freely given as just here. I wanted to give you this. So I just want to encourage you, if you start to feel like Christmas is becoming a stressful thing, take a step back, take a breath, and spend a little bit of time being thankful for what we've been given and also looking forward to what God has promised to give again in the future. And just kind of take a minute. It's something we do with Kirsten every once in a while. She's starting to get a little stressed out. We do this, don't we, Kirsten? We're starting to feel a little rough. Yeah, and you need a minute, don't you, sometimes? You, sometimes you need a minute. Yeah. Yep, and I'm dad, yes. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes you, you need a minute, don't you, to, to kind of hit the reset button. You need a minute to kind of see what it is that you're looking at more clearly or from a new angle or from a new perspective. That perspective, sometimes you can get too close to the thing and it's hard to actually see it clearly. You know, I make fun of my dad because he used to hold things close and, you know, just like hold them and read them. And now he does that squinting thing where he holds it farther away and he's got to try and figure out like, okay, what am I actually looking at here? I think sometimes we get too wrapped up in the details of what we need to do to celebrate Christmas. We need to take a step back and look at what it means on a cosmic scale that we have this celebration of a God who became human. And to be waiting not only for him to come once, but to be waiting now for him to come again. And to also think about what it must have meant for the Hebrew people to be waiting for the king and the son of man, the one who will come on a cloud as we read last week in Daniel. The one who is going to come and he's gonna make right all of these injustices and exiles and wars and famines and predations that have been happening for centuries. The history of the Jewish people is not a nice smooth path from beginning and then entering the promised land and then everything is good and they've been there ever since. The history of God's chosen people is not a straight line. It's a, it's a story of exile. It's a story of being taken away from home and then yearning to return. And so when we find ourselves sitting in this, this period where we're like, things are not as they should be, Things are broken or the world is just a little too cruel. It this doesn't seem like the kind of world that God would have intended. It's because it's not yet. We're still waiting. 
And so this, this lesson of the season of Advent is that, yes, we are waiting, but pay attention to what you're waiting for. Because you see, last week we talked about the, the Son of Man, that prophetic, that apocalyptic figure in Daniel, the one that would come and that all nations and all thrones and all authority would be his. And he is the one, the offshoot of that branch of David that we talked about again this week. The one that will come and will make everything right and will make good on every promise that God ever made. The one that will make the world right again. Because right now, it is anything but. And so when we, we have this idea that the Jewish people, they were waiting 600 plus years for their Messiah. Between the prophets spoke of this one that would come that would make everything okay. And when Jesus actually came, they waited 600 years. And then still, it wasn't what they expected. We expected an earthly kingdom. They expected maybe what Pilate would have expected when Pilate said, well, are you a king? Are you the one they're talking about? Are you this prophet that they sort of said would come and make everything okay? And Jesus gave this really slippery answer and has basically said, well, sort of, but not the way you mean it. I've come to do something else. So when I think of apocalypse... It's a big kind of scary word, right? You think of, you know, a nuclear apocalypse where, you know, if the wrong button gets pushed, maybe back in the 60s, maybe today, and all of a sudden, everything goes up. It's an apocalypse. It's the end of all things and the beginning of something completely and totally different. And normally we don't think of apocalypse as anything good. But yet when you read the apocalyptic literature in Scripture, you read Revelation, you read the second half of Daniel, you read the Old Testament prophets that talk about the stars falling down to earth and the moon turning to blood and the sun turning dark. They talk about these things that are like the end of everything that is right now. All things will end. And then. So we see this, this, this Son of Man figure. It's this, it's this apocalyptic figure where everything that is in the structure or the way the world works today, it will not be that way after he comes. Which, if you are in control, is bad news. But if you are one of the Hebrew people and somebody says, you are in exile... But someday there is one who is coming who will bring an apocalypse. Who will bring an end to these orders and these structures and these empires and this imperial nature that is Babylon. One day this will end. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth and you can return home. That's an apocalypse I'd sign up for. And so we, we read through scripture and you read Revelation, which is kind of notorious for being incredibly difficult to get anything useful or concrete out of. You read about the dragon chasing the woman who is with child and you read about the, the abomination that causes desolation and the sacrifice that is going to be on the altar in the temple. And Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins made a whole ton of money writing a story about it or 14 or 18 or however many they ended up writing. And so... 
you read Revelation, and if you're reading it for, okay, I need a time map here for exactly when and how and what things are going to end so that I can keep myself safe, you might be reading Revelation for all the wrong reasons. You might be reading the biblical apocalypse saying, okay, well, I need to survive this. I need to keep my little corner of the world intact. But I think the message of Scripture is that the world as it is will not be kept intact, and that is good news. Because you know how the world works. The world works where if you know someone, you get the job. The best qualified person doesn't always get hired. Sometimes the wrong person gets fired because the person who deserved it knew the right person. Sometimes you can get what you want because you can force the issue and you have a bigger army than the other guy or you have more money than the other guy or you have a better lawyer than the other guy. The way our world works today is the powerful are rewarded and the weak are oppressed. But an apocalypse is coming. The radical world-upending truth that is a biblical apocalypse is that the world as it is, where the powerful win and the weak lose, is not the world that God has in mind when he remakes heaven and earth. When Jesus prayed and he said, Father, I pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's not just a nice part of the Lord's prayer that you blow by. It's not just something nice saying, well, you know, God, I'll, I guess I'll do what you ask me to because your will be done. It's not a nice, safe, calm thing to say. That is saying, God, I want to take the right order of things that exists in heaven. I want to take the way things ought to be, the way they work in your throne room, where righteousness is rewarded instead of power. I want that to be the way that your will is done on earth. I don't want power to be rewarded on this planet anymore. I want righteousness and right behavior and kindness and compassion and love. I want those to be the people who are in charge. Do you even know what that would look like? Because I have no idea. When we, when we sit here and we, we try and figure out, okay, what does it mean if the most compassionate person around is suddenly in charge? You walk into any room and it's not the most assertive person. It's not the person who's dressed the nicest. It's not the person who knows the boss who gets to run something. It's the guy who looks around and goes, you know, I bet we can really do something good here today. You know, I bet, we can, I bet we can show kindness to someone today. How can we take care of people today? What if those were the people that were just by default in charge of everything? I mean, if that person was in charge of your meeting at work, your job would suddenly be so much less stressful. If that person was in charge of Congress, we might see different laws passed. If that person was our representative to the UN or to state senate, then you might start to see a little bit different things happening. If that person was in charge in your family, would you be in charge? Sometimes there's, there's what I think needs to be done, and then my daughter will walk up and go, hey, can we do this? And I realize, wow, that is a much better idea. 
Some days she wants to have chocolate chips for breakfast, and that's not one of those times. But you, you get what I'm saying. Like, sometimes the people we just by habit ignore are the people who are right. And I mean that in a very deep, deep way. I don't just mean they're more practical or they're more successful or if we listen to them, we'd all be better off. I mean they are right in the way that God is right. They are good in the way that God is good. They're loving in the way that God is loving. And we are waiting to see a world where those people are rewarded and are actually in charge. Not because they suddenly have some sort of power over us, but because nobody fights them on it. Somebody comes up and goes, hey, I bet we could really bless these people here if we did this thing. And everyone instantly goes, yes, that is fantastic. We all can do that. Let's go. There's no power struggle. There's no fight. There's just, this is a good thing. Let's go. What if it were that simple? What if we just threw up a meal train for all the families that have recently had kids and all of a sudden people can't wait to just cook them meals? Because it's just a good thing. What if we heard about somebody down the street who didn't have a place to stay and suddenly they had a bed and a roof and a room? I can't share the name of the person because we're going to put this on the internet. They asked me not to share their name, but I was having lunch with someone last week and I saw what it meant for somebody who had a pretty prestigious job. You probably know their names. And they walked into, uh, I think they met the person through Oaks of Righteousness. They met somebody who didn't think they were financially or socially able to keep their child. And so they were, they were thinking about having an abortion. And this person just heard about it through somebody who heard about it, and they just went, I'll take the baby. And it didn't think anything would really come of it, but then suddenly they said, well, are, are you serious? Because I'll go talk to her. I said, but, well, yeah, I, I guess I am. And as far as I know, the adoption was finalized last Thursday. That's the kind of good thing that I'm talking about. Like, there's, there's somebody who walked in, saw a need, and then said, I can help with this. And then they did. If we were all like that, half the time, we could change the world. It would be an apocalypse of biblical proportions. And so the reason I went with this way on the first Sunday of Advent wasn't because I want to make y'all feel guilty for not adopting babies. Although, hey, if you feel convicted about that, go adopt some kids, go for it. The reason I said that is because often we think of waiting as something that is passive. We think of waiting and like, well, the Son of Man is going to come back and until he does, I guess I'll just sit here. One of the first songs I ever sang with Melanie and my parents is kind of a four-part thing was, I'll fly away. You know, some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. 
And that's like the chorus is like, well, when everything's over with, I just get to fly away. And the dangerous subtext of that song is that, well, this world isn't really my problem. Someday I just get to fly away from it. But yet, the apocalypse that is John's revelation says the world will not be destroyed, it will be remade. It won't be left behind, it will be fixed. It will be made right. And we are responsible for helping with that. So are we waiting this Advent season? Yes, absolutely we are. But it's not a passive waiting. We have work to do. We could go remake the world. So part of it is I love simplicity. Melanie is the decorator of our home. If I were in charge of decorating our house, 